This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Todd Willits, and I'm joined by EPFR's economist Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the data EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming week. Cam, good morning. Uh, I hope you are enjoying the start of fall here in the Northeast. Uh, I am indeed, Todd. Uh, I'm I'm noticing uh, with some pleasure the growing swathes of red and gold across the across the trees around our house and uh, on the way to work. And hopefully both you and I will get a chance to sort of see it in all its glory in the higher countries to the north. Absolutely. Uh, so this week, uh, this past week, we we did see a streak come to an end. The long U.S. bond fund run that began really in the end of March when everything started with the pandemic uh, came to an end, as well as high yield bond flows saw bond funds saw big redemptions. Uh, what's going on in the in the bond world? Uh well, I think the two are connected. Uh, as you say, when the Fed stepped in uh, decisively towards the end of March, it kicked off uh, a very long and, and profitable streak of inflows for the U.S. bond funds we track, uh, over $400 billion since the beginning of April. Uh, but that came to uh, a halt this past week. Uh, and I think the clue as to why is also... Uh, involves the high-yield bond funds. Um, certainly what we heard and saw was that um, the Fed's somewhat gloomy uh, view of the U.S. economy that they unveiled uh, the other week um, has prompted uh, investors to you know, really revisit their assumptions about this growing pile uh, of corporate debt that has... Uh, has been issued at breakneck pace and, and all, generally for good reason over the past few months. Um, so um, we, we'd already seen for the past two weeks uh, definitely more skeptical uh, view of the uh, high yield of the junk bond space, uh, and that uh, spilled over into investment-grade corporate uh, funds this week. Well, I know one of the topics we've been discussing is um, the interest in emerging market bonds. Uh, do we see that continue to play out in this pullback from U.S. and high yield bond funds? Um, that certainly uh, in <coughs> in the fixed income space seems to be uh, one of the places that uh, investors who feel um, there's only so much exposure to junk bonds you can have are rotating towards. Um, but that said, it has been sort of rather mono country in the past few weeks. So even though I think it's a real trend, uh, the revisiting of emerging markets debt as an asset class, uh, I, I'm definitely viewing it with some caution at the moment. Let me guess, is it a China dominated story once again this week? It is indeed. Uh, for the first time since we started tracking them, ch- dedicated China bond funds took over 
in over a billion dollars in a single week. Uh, and had you know, had those funds not taken in that amount, uh, the, the uh, inflow streak for all emerging markets bond funds might have come to an end. Um, and we also saw something similar uh, over on the equity side. Um, the uh, single group among the many country and regional EM groups that we track uh, that had the biggest inflows for the week was, surprise, surprise, China equity funds. It is. You know, when we look back on 2020, do you think this is the year where we see that China really emerged as, if not one of two global powers, the global power. I mean, if you look at the way they've handled the pandemic, it looks like they're back to business. looks like they're attracting assets in both their equity and bond markets. Do you think 2020 was the turning point for China? Um, I wouldn't call it a turning point because uh, long-term China faces some pretty significant headwinds. Um, but certainly, and to borrow something from the uh, Chinese communist lexicon, uh, uh, it may go down as another great leap forward. Um, I think we're definitely sort of moving towards uh, a bipolar uh, great power world. Um, but I'm old enough to remember the angst when the U.S. and China were facing off uh and how, because we didn't have much information, uh, everything that Russia did seemed threatening, seemed likely to sort of take it, take it ahead. And I think as some similar caution should be applied to China. They have, a, have an aging population. Um, economic reform really seems to have taken a back seat to political imperatives. Not that that was ever not really the case, but the degree to which it is now, I think, is significant. Um, and China's China's uh, strategic position, certainly from their perspective, remains a tough one. Um, they have uh, two big and historically uh, aggressive, actually three if you count Japan, uh, aggressive neighbors around them. Um, once you get beyond the South China Sea, you certainly run into um, U.S. naval dominance. So um, I, I agree with your premise that this is <clears throat> definitely a year when China made up considerable ground on the U.S., but uh, I would caution uh, about magnifying it too far. So last week, I think we saw a little bit of what I think I would probably describe as a yield play. Despite negative returns, we saw big inflows into European money market funds. What do you think is happening? I mean, is is it are people so desperate that they're willing to pay to park their money? Um, yeah, I, I'd love to give you a more sophisticated response, but I think that's the case. I think on the ground, uh, Europe's economic landscape. Uh, to Europeans still looks extremely daunting. Um, and it's a view that our, our flows in recent weeks are suggesting has spread to investors beyond Europe. Um, and indeed, uh, if you rank the, the, the fund groups that we track uh, by uh, net inflows quarter to date, uh, Europe money market funds uh, rank second to US bond funds, despite the negative interest rate. Um, so I, I see that I see that as a fear play, uh, as a, 
you know, the, the, the investors in Europe are living cheek by jowl, but with the prospect of, of a new series of lockdowns, uh, the next latest uh, stage of the Brexit process is proving pretty messy. Um, and, you know, the, the banking system is once again being viewed with some concern. So uh, my sense is that it, it basically reflects uh, the, the view of Europeans as to where their economy is headed collectively in the short run. Is there any chance we see this uh, similar to how we see the transmission of shocks through global the, the global economy where we see an activity in one region and that kind of migrates either east or west? Do we anticipate to see something like that with, uh, with other markets in other regions? Well, uh, a Europe in, in crisis is not good news for, I think, for emerging markets, uh, partly because of the colonial history. Um, Europe uh, tends to be more engaged, uh, certainly at sort of the direct foreign investment level with many emerging markets. Um, and obviously through the European Union, uh, are a major factor in the uh, CE3 uh, and emerging European uh, universe. Um, so, yes, I, I think uh, if this continues, uh, we will see effects. Interestingly, <laughs> it may be an emerging market that uh, delivers the next shock to Europe. Um, Turkey remains a real concern for policymakers uh, one old issue, which is that Turkey continues to dam up a huge number of uh, refugees from the Syrian civil war, uh, were it to throw its borders open uh, and let those uh, refugees try and make their way west. Uh, you know, that would certainly throw fuel on the populist fires uh, that have uh, roiled Europe in recent years. And then uh, he, Turkey's current economic policy, which uh, Turkey would describe as bold and, and many outside observers would, would uh, characterize as reckless, uh, has raised concerns that uh, the European banks that are exposed to the Turkish economy could be in for uh, a serious hit uh, at just the wrong time with, with knock-on effects. Uh, to their lending abilities, both within Europe and to other emerging markets. So what are you and the team going to be looking at over the next, this upcoming week? Well, um, what, what I just talked about will certainly uh, be on the agenda. Um, you know, I've been hearing a lot about Turkey recently, both in an emerging markets context and, and how it might uh influence uh, events in Europe. Um, we're continuing to pay close attention to the sectors. Uh, we're getting close enough to the U.S. November elections that I think we're going to start to see uh, a bigger uh, sort of projection impact on flows to those fund groups. Uh, healthcare sector funds have started to struggle a bit. Uh, they're usually something of a political football, uh, certainly in presidential election years. Um, and uh, let's see, uh, we're also keeping a, a close eye on Japan, where you have 
uh, a change of leadership after for Japan a very long tenure, uh, Shinzo Abe and Abenomics, um, and though it has operated in the shadows of the uh, Sino-U.S. tensions in recent years, Japan remains the world's third largest economy and, and uh, you know and a sig- significant force uh, in many of the uh, aspects that we keep an eye on. Great. Thanks, Cam. Have a great week. I will. You too, Todd. As always, you can find EPFR on LinkedIn and on Twitter at EPFR. To sign up to receive our EPFR daily exchange research we spoke about here, you can visit financialintelligence.informa.com. For questions or to suggest a topic for an upcoming podcast, you can email EPFR exchange podcast at informa.com.